Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Rijk van die Kerk and my guest today is Albert Boota. He is Head of Fixed Income Portfolio Management at Ashburton Investments. Albert, thank you so much for joining me. Fixed income is a significant topic currently. The Reserve Bank cut interest rates really to the bone this year, currently at the lowest level in uh, close to five decades, and it has resulted in the yields of uh, many fixed income and money market products to drop significantly. Currently, what returns can investors expect from these funds in the current market environment? Fixed income is is interesting in the, at least for guys like myself, and I know a lot of other people find it a bit dry. The returns you can get from these portfolios vary significantly depending on the type of portfolio. An equity fund, to a large degree, can be compared with another equity fund. However, within fixed income, the range is quite wide. So right at the bottom end of the spectrum, you have effectively your money market portfolios. And your money market funds will give you approximately 1% above the repo rate over any 12-month period. So if the repo rate averages, let's say 3.5%, a money market fund over a 12-month period will give you about 4.5%. That's after all investment fees. It doesn't take into account if there's advisor fees or not. Then you can move all the way to the other end of the spectrum, your your bond funds, and here you can invest in instruments that are currently yielding anywhere up to 10% or above. Right now, the volatility and the risk in those instruments are significantly different from what you get in a money market portfolio. You're sitting in that, that space, depending on how much risk you're taking. In the last couple of years, most clients have moved into both money market type portfolio or what's been deemed enhanced money market or enhanced cash or enhanced yield portfolios. These are the portfolios like, for example, our Ashburton Stable Income Fund that over a 12-month period should get you about 1% money market fund, so about 2% above repo. So if the repo rate averages 3.5%, these portfolios should give you approximately 5.5% after all investment fees. That is interesting because currently at banks, the fixed deposit rates are very similar to those. And I would assume many people would look at such fixed deposit rates as less risky than money market and fixed income funds. How should an investor look at those options? While we quite often see various type of investment products as being being equal, I think a much better, better way of looking at it is realizing that you should try and select a product that matches your needs. One of the primary features of unit trust funds or collective investment schemes, as they're called now, is that these instruments or these portfolios offer you liquidity on a T plus one or next day basis. So if you put your money away today and three days later you want it, you can get it. If you put your money away today and seven months later, you can get it. It has a degree of liquidity that's not available within a fixed deposit. That doesn't mean that all investors should be in in money market funds all the time. Occasionally, depending on your need, a fixed deposit for a proportion of your money can be a part of a holistic planning that you can look to to invest your money. I think that much like you want to diversify asset classes, though, you may want to look to diversify solutions as well, because given the uncertain nature of our economy, If you lock away all of your money for a five-year fixed deposit and you need emergency funding three weeks from now, 
then there's breakage fees and those kind of things, and they can start becoming expensive. So people tend to to combine these various things to get to an outcome that's more suited towards them. So I think the way to look at it is to say, what do I need this for? Is this money that I'm that I made from selling a house uh, or selling a flat that I may want to move into the market or that I may want to move offshore if the RAND strengthens? Then a money market fund probably suits you better as you may need that liquidity on any specific day. You don't know when that is. If this is money that you are saving to buy something five years from now or you don't, you know you're not going to need it, then a fixed deposit might also work well. But in practice, people tend to use a combination of these things. It's also a way to preserve capital. And as you've said, we've seen volatile markets, especially equity markets. Since the beginning of the year, we've had some big, big swings. And many people are concerned about capital preservation. Have you seen, especially in in recent months where we have seen a strong recovery from the lows in March, have you seen a a significant inflow above normal on your fixed uh, income fund? We've seen significant flows in specifically our money market portfolio. The money market portfolio is managed by two of my my colleagues, Khatatso and Mohammed, and that portfolio specifically is invested only in the big five South African banks. National Treasury, T-bills, short-term paper, and AAA-rated international banks. So it's a portfolio that's constructed to be effectively free of non-bank credit risk. And from the end of December till effectively the end of this month, the fund grew from just under $4 billion to about $9.5 billion. So you've seen some significant flows in that kind of space, people rushing towards safety. But at the same time, we've also seen some clients moving out of call and overnight accounts and moving more and more money into a money market space. And I think that's a trend we're likely to, to continue seeing for the next couple of years as interest rates remain low, is clients moving one or two steps up the risk curve as they require higher rates of return to meet their investment goals. How has the significant interest rate cuts affected the performance of the fund? The money market fund and the stable income fund aren't really affected significantly on a mark-to-market basis. In other words, the the fund doesn't lose capital as a result of interest rate cuts. What does happen is just like your home loan or your car loan is the, the rate of interest that the fund earns looking forward drops. When the repo rate was at 6.5%, stable income was giving you 8.5% for deals. Now the repo rates dropped to below 4, set at 375, now at 2.5. And now stable income is looking to give you 5.5% forward-looking rates. So it's it's a reduction in the forward yield, the expected return of the portfolios, rather than a a variation that or a loss in capital that you see in these funds. Stable income, for example, hasn't had a negative month in over the last decade, and the money market fund hasn't had a negative month at all since it's launched. But I'm looking at the stable income fund. The year-to-date yield is around 2.7%, and on the money market fund, the year-to-date yield around 3.2%. And that's not significantly higher than inflation. It also doesn't fit in with those forward yields you've just mentioned. How do you explain that? If we look at the last inflation print now till the end of June, the one-year inflation up to June was about 2 2.1%. Yes. The one-year return from the money market fund up until now, the which is the end of June, for the last 12 months over that same period, 
in which inflation was 2%. I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure the money market fund return was in excess of 7%. So it actually outperformed inflation quite handily. It's one of the advantages of living in South Africa is that our interest rates are still real. We still have interest rates that are above inflation across the curve, at least for now. And the comments from the governors of the Reserve Bank is that that's a policy that's likely to be maintained. On a forward-looking basis, those real yields start dropping away. But the, the year-to-date numbers is only for six months. In other words, you have the June facts each. So you've got, you're comparing six months returns with a full year's worth of inflation. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a mismatch. Yeah, I see the one-year performance, uh, nearly 7%, as you've said, on the income fund and on the money market fund, over 7%. So that is significant. And, and again, if you look at the equity market Currently, which is down year to date, these are very attractive yields. Yes, it is. South Africa is, as I said earlier, fortunate about our yield environment. There is risks in South Africa, true. But if you look at whether it's the ECB, the Bank of Japan, whether it's the Fed or whether it's the Bank of England, all of them have either zero or close to zero interest rates. The current yield on a 10-year bond, a 10-year bond in the US is 0.5%. In other words, the rate, annualized rate of interest you'll be earning over a 10-year period is half a percent. The South African 10-year bond is currently yielding 9.4%. We are being rewarded in South Africa for, uh, for investing within the fixed income asset class. And it is a somewhat, not quite unique, but somewhat favored position to be in globally. Our equity markets, however, have struggled the last couple of years. And given the current view on South Africa's economic growth forecasts, are likely to continue to struggle at least for, a, for, for the foreseeable future. So, for example, if you, if you ask uh, just a broader house view question, at Ashburton, we tend to prefer global equities over local equities, but we tend to prefer local fixed income over global fixed income. So if you think about that fabled balanced fund type portfolio, we tend to have more of our fixed income assets in South Africa where they can earn between, let's say, 5 to 9% rather than offshore where they can earn less than 1%, whereas we have more of our equity or we tend to favor our, our offshore equities where there's a more attractive growth environment than perhaps South Africa where the uh, equity growth environment is less attractive. Money market fund, as you've said, has uh, more than doubled over the past few months uh, to over 9 billion under management. Do you see any significant foreign investment into these funds? Not at the moment. Most foreigners, when they do participate in the South African market within the fixed income space, participate more in the bond market. Mm. And one of the interesting things that we've seen in the last couple of years is that if you look back to, say, 2016, the rate that you could get on a one-year cash instrument, a one-year NCD, and the rate that you could get on a 10-year bond were both just above 8%. So you weren't really being rewarded for taking on either term risk or duration risk. This additional nine years you're taking on of government debt, you weren't really being rewarded. That same equation now is you're, being, you're getting about 4% for investing in one-year bank NCDs, you're getting about 9.4% for investing in 10-year government bonds. So foreigners that look towards South Africa and that are to some extent either taking some or a lot of currency risk by investing here, they want to be rewarded in the most optimum way and taking, taking bond risk with a little bit of term. In other words, buying 
debt instruments at 9% rather than 4% suits their books a lot better. So we're seeing more participation in that that space than we are seeing at the in the money market space. The Reserve Bank has entered the secondary bond market. Does that affect you at all? The Reserve Bank has been very careful about their participation in that secondary market. We know that there are some ideological calls. They've been asked to intervene more with what's been called in the US and in Europe quantitative easing, effectively funding South Africa's markets debt, market debt. The Reserve Bank has been very careful to say that their participation in the African secondary market is not intended to be quantitative easing. They do not have a buying target. They are not targeting yield levels. They are entering the market in an effort to promote liquidity. What that meant was during especially March and April, buying and selling bonds became quite expensive. To understand what that means, you've got to understand how bonds trade. Generally, when you ask for a bond price, you get a buying price and a selling price. And the less liquid a market becomes, the further those buying prices and selling prices start to move away from each other. So trading them becomes expensive. By entering the market and helping to provide liquidity, the Reserve Bank has has helped move those prices closer towards each other. Let's call it liquidity backstop or liquidity provision has helped the market in its smooth functioning. They have not, as many I think either feared or hoped for, entered in a aggressive buying program to buy a lot of South African government debt. So they haven't helped from a, a level perspective, but they've helped the smooth operation of the market. How often do you trade within these funds? Is it quite often or do you take long-term views? It varies quite a lot on the types of portfolios and what's going on in the market around us. The South African credit market, which is um, the market where portfolio like the Stable Income Fund invests primarily, is somewhat different from what you read in textbooks when you study investing, in that trading it, trading in credit is not as easy as people would have you think. So the stable income, for example, is mostly buying credit and then holding it to maturity. So there's very little trading actually going on. It's mostly buying and holding to maturity. So very long-term, three-year, five-year views of companies. The money market fund, by the nature of what money market funds have to look at, uh, has a shorter turnover period, but it's because regulation forces us to have a weighted average term of all instruments to be less than 120 days. And then the bond fund and the kind of multi-asset income funding, it's called Ashburton and Diverse Fund Income, goes through periods of heavier trade when there is more market uncertainty. So, for example, we traded very heavily in March and April, and then we traded significantly less so in June. But there is quite a bit more trading in those portfolios. And the reason is that they invest in asset classes that allow you some more liquidity. So there's some property in there. There's some preference shares in there. And about 20% of that fund is invested offshore in U.S. dollar asset classes. And that allows you to do some trading there as well. But Ashburton as a house has more of a macro investment style rather than an active trading style or a quant style or high frequency trading style, depending on how many of Michael Lewis's books you've read. So it's much more a longer-term investment horizon than it is a short buy today and sell tomorrow type trading style. Of course, you are are linked to First Rand. Does investments you make form part of the bank's capital adequacy ratios? No. So Ashburton is wholly owned by by First Rand, much like uh, F&B and R&B and the other brothers that are significantly larger than we are. We are a relatively new asset manager in South Africa, having a 
having been around, I think, for, uh, for about six, seven years. While we are wholly owned by the first rand holding company, we're not owned by the bank. So we're not owned by either FMB or RMB. And all of our assets are off balance sheet. So none of our assets in the portfolios form part of the bank. So that means it's bankruptcy remote. All your assets are held in trust or by custodians. We're not involved in the, in the, in the Basel calculations. Any of our portfolios are not involved in the Basel calculations or the capital adequacy calculations for the banks. God forbid we see a bankruptcy in our banking sector in the foreseeable future. Albert, thank you so much for your time today. That was Albert Boerta. He's head of fixed income portfolio management at Ashburton Investments.